actions antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. And one of the key themes of pretty much every episode of this podcast and how it all comes together, it's all about the mindset. In order to achieve the life that you truly want, what you really desire, a truly joyous life, to quote my guest today, you need to believe it's possible. You need to think it's possible. You need to have the right self-talk and you need to think about the right things. My guest today, Janet Langmeyer, is the founder of Phoenix Soaring International and a facilitator of the Mastery Mindset Coaching Services. Welcome, Janet, to the program. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, yeah. Thank you for coming on my podcast and uh, for the the workshop in which we met at a few weeks ago at the Mind, Body, and Spirit Expo. So, Janet, let's start a little bit about your story because you're all about you know, what your self-talk is, what you're thinking about, and what you really believe is possible and making it possible through your thoughts. Is there a background you come from that led you to investigate all these things and want to facilitate it for others? That's a loaded question, Stephen. I know, I know. Of I was course, like... the answer is, is yes, but it's not that simple. Well, yeah, of course. If it was just yes, this wouldn't be a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, studying what we what might have been in my day considered esoteric things, uh, I've always been interested in what drives us, you know, what's going on inside. The inside of life has always been very, very interesting to me from the time I was very young. So reading things that a lot of other people didn't read back when I was a kid opened my mind to think differently, I guess. I did a lot of the normal, you know, eight to five and what other people expect for a long period of my life, for enough decades that got that down, got that down really, so really So you well. know what that's about, fully know, know what, what the eight to five is about. And I had, yeah, and I had a lot of success, but I worked really hard and uh, I made some choices that were not easy because I was raising children at the same time and I was working. And, you know, I look at at the younger people today and the choices that they make, and I just applaud how so often they know how to make choices that support their life as opposed to, I felt like I had to do that. I had to do this. There was no other choice for me. And, and yet that didn't align with the things I studied and the things I believed in. One day, you know, we all have our one day, right? Yep. Well, the one day that I really, really knew that something had to change, I was driving to a job that I was very good at and I liked and everything. I was on um, Boulder Turnpike, as a matter of fact, and I had my daughter in my ear. I was listening to her talking to me and I get to the exit to go to my job and I started having a panic attack. Oh, my and my daughter could hear it. And she's like, mom, pull off the road, pull off the road. And I'm like, I'm a block from the office. I'm going to park. And I mean, I'm just the whole full blown. Yeah. And I just couldn't believe what was going on. And a friend of mine texted me and I said to my daughter, you know, my friend is texting me. She goes, mom, hang up for me. She's a doctor. Call her back right now. <laughs> so, so I did. Yeah. And she could hear my voice. She goes, what's going on? And I told her and she goes, Janet, turn the car around. And I'm like, uh, I'm single. I have to pay my own bills. I have to take care of myself. If I don't go into my job, I can yeah. see the door from my car. Nobody's going to take care of me. Turning the car around is not an option. So I argued for my limitations. Mm -hmm. was doing a really good job of arguing for my limitations because most of us have been taught to argue for our limitation. 
And she just said, I'm just take a deep breath and turn the car around. And I heard her. Yep. And I picked up the phone and said, you know, I'm going to hang up from you because I'm going to text my boss and tell her I can't come in. So I texted and said, I'm here, but I can't work. I need to go home. And mm-hmm. I turned the car around and it was the most empowering decision I ever made in my life. Every mile closer to home, I was feeling better. I was getting stronger. So I made an arrangement to work from home the next day. This was before work from home was a work from home thing. Right? Yeah, so this is before the pandemic. Yeah, this, or is way, before... oh yeah, this is quite a long time before the pandemic. And um, and so I'm sitting in my kitchen the next morning. All I have to do is walk down six stairs from the kitchen to the office and 10 minutes to the time to go online and go to work. I started having another panic attack. Hmm. And I went, this is tied to what's going on. I'm not happy. I'm doing a job that I'm good at. I'm respected. I'm making money, but I'm not happy. And I knew it. I knew that it wasn't filling me. In fact, I was working all the time. The short version of the story is I never went back. So what was the prelude? You had that one day and you said that you were in this type of job for a lot, you know, a number of years. You were doing what, what was necessary. And this one day you had the panic attack and then all of a sudden you just, you couldn't go back. But what about the the year or two before that? Did you have oh, signs yeah. in your head that you knew that you were unhappy, that something felt wrong? Like, what did that feel like? Absolutely. That had been going on for a number of years. I had been in a job similar to the one I was doing for a different company. And I, I just was like at the end of my road, I'd been doing that for a number of years and it was just grueling. And so this other company offered me a lot more money to do the same thing. Yeah. And so I wasn't all that happy, but, you know, you got to make a living. I said yes to the uh, additional money. And here's the thing. It didn't matter. I had so little life because I was working so much more. I was actually spending more money, even though I was making more money. And I had less health I managed to keep singing during that time. That was like the only outlet that I found for myself. But other than that, I was literally getting up, going to work, coming home, going to sleep, getting up, going to, well, that wears you out. And that had been going on for a good five, six years before the panic attack day. Panic attack day was my Mm. body saying no more. Because your body will eventually tell you, if you don't listen to the little signs that come up, there were plenty of little signs that I ignored. Because what did I say? Even on the day that I'm having the attack, fear messages. I'm alone. I I have to do this on my own. I don't have any other choices, right? I was feeding myself all the things that were keeping me blocked from making a decision. Now, I've studied this stuff for years. I know what I'm talking about. But this was an opportunity to say, how much do you believe in it? Do you know about it or do you know it? So you're talking about the difference between I've read something and I intellectually know this to be a fact versus I'm actually going to live by it. Right. Absolutely true. And the truth of it is, is that turning the car around that day was the beginning of that. But the very next day, it was like, I can't ignore this message. And I know the truth. I know the truth. So that means trusting it. That means taking action on it. And fortunately, my friend who is a physician wrote me a prescription that said, you need time off. 
take a week. <laughs> so she wrote me a prescription for a week off. And I called my brother and I flew back to Wisconsin and spent a week with my siblings. My mother was still alive at that time. My father was gone. I went to his grave, had a conversation with him, talked to my brothers and sisters, just had fun. But a really significant thing happened that trip back home. My sister, who's next to me, and I'm the oldest of eight. Yeah. We were going to meet at the park with one of our other sisters at this park by the river. And so we were there waiting for her to come. And she didn't know my story because she didn't know what had happened. I hadn't told anybody. I just said, I'm coming yeah. back. So mm -hmm. I'm sitting at the park waiting. She comes in and she she just runs up to us. She gives us a big hug. She jumps up on top of the picnic table and she starts spinning around going, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And I said, what happened? She said, I quit my job. Oh, and wow. I jumped up on the table next to her and I danced with her and I said, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free because I'm never going back. And I didn't know it until that moment. <laughs> and we just looked and our other sister looked at us like, You've both lost your mind. And we had, we'd lost the mind that kept us trapped. Interesting. And freedom. We were like a couple of little girls dancing in the rain, you know, yeah. jumping up and down in the puddle and having fun. You want to talk about joy. The freedom that we were both feeling was unbelievable. And I didn't know mm -hmm. how, because the how gets in the way. That's why we get stuck. I didn't know how I was going to survive, take care mm -hmm. of myself or whatever. But I knew that what I was doing was not going to fill my soul and it wasn't going to make me happy. And that earning money isn't all there is about life. Do we need money? Yes. I'm the first person to say that my mortgage company likes it when I pay them every month. Right. Yeah. But it's more than that. It's breaking away from the fear. We think we have to know how it's going to happen instead of knowing that it will. I came back from a week with my brothers and sisters feeling completely renewed, clueless, yep. but still knowing that something has to give inside, right? Something has to give. And things started to just show up. And I had an opportunity to take a class, which was going to be way more money than I yeah. could possibly have thought that I could do but it was going to allow me to start moving into this kind of work. Now I've been coaching and mentoring in the corporate world most of my adult life. That's the kind of work I've done. I've done training and coaching, yeah. teaching, that kind of thing, sales, that all that. The notion of Janet Langmire could do this without having a corporate umbrella was terrifying to me. Hmm. And when I looked at you can't spend that kind of money, you aren't even earning any money. And guess yeah. what? I did it anyway. I did it anyway. I did it in face of the fear because I knew that somewhere, somehow, things would start to show up because I was starting to listen to the voice inside. And it did. I finished what I needed to do. I learned what I needed to learn. And I realized I've been studying this all my life. And it all started to come together. It took me a number of years before I wrote Mastery Mindset Coaching. I, I taught a lot of other programs that were similar in, in nature as far as the core coming from what you think is who you are, right? What you think yeah. is what you become. But finally wrote it the way that I think about it, which is really mm -hmm. all of us are talking truth. We all are talking it from the way that we hear it, the way that we speak it. And that was for me a very big thing to do and then to start like stepping out and doing it that way. But, you know, once you surrender 
the how and recognize that what is the what? What is it that you are looking for? What is it that you want to experience? You may not know exactly how it all comes together. Well, great, because that's the whole point of having a joyful life, living an ordinary life in an extraordinary way. And that doesn't mean that you have to be Jonas Salk, right? We aren't all here to make those kinds of contributions to the world. Some of us are, and that's good. But whatever that purpose is inside of us is for us to live that to our, to our, our best, right? When, when my father passed away, I was trying to think of what to say, to talk, you know, to do a eulogy or whatever. And what I did is I, I said very little. I got up and I said, I just want to thank dad for a few things. Mm-hmm. I want to thank him for rigging the bingo games in every single one of our birthday parties <laughs> so that every kid could go home a winner, right? Because yeah. this was back before, you know, now my grandkids, when they have parties, all the kids take goodie bags home. But when I was a kid, that it wasn't the way it was. When I was a kid, if you won the game, you got the prize. I could see my parents. They had a code. Mother would walk around and see who didn't win. And she'd give him the code and he'd pull a number and he'd magically pull the number that that kid needed to give bingo. And that game wasn't over till every single kid hollered bingo. Now, that's living an extraordinary life. So I had to acknowledge yeah. that. You know, huh. I thanked him for loving our mother because this day and age, so few people have that all the way through their life. For sure. That their parents love each other at that in that way. So it was an extraordinary thing, but it's an ordinary thing, isn't it? Right? Yeah. My dad in 1976, he came home 10 days before there was going to be a little parade in one of the small towns. I come from a very small area in rural Wisconsin. And he came home 10 days before the 4th of July parade for the bicentennial and said to my mother, I think I want a clown for this parade. Could you make me a costume? Mm-hmm. A clown. He became a clown, an amateur clown. And the first time he did it was for the parade for the bicentennial in 1976. And he amateur clowned the rest of his life till he became very ill and loved it. He learned how to do magic tricks. He did all kinds of things. And and um, when I stood at, next to my mother at his wake and uh, so kids, there were so many kids at his wake, you can't believe it. And I heard these stories, right? I thought, what an extraordinary thing he did. It was so ordinary. He just became a clown because he thought it would be fun. And he loved children. He would go to the hospitals. He'd go to the, the nursing homes. I mean, because he said, everybody's a kid. Everybody's got a kid in them. And I heard these wonderful stories. So I thanked him for making all the kids that we knew, not just his grandkids, but all the kids that he knew happy. When we live our ordinary life filled with joy, it makes our life extraordinary. That's amazing. I had a I had a similar recent uh, ordinary, extraordinary experience this past Saturday. I was at the Happy Camper in the Highlands neighborhood in Denver, and um, I was ordering a rum and coke. I saw a bunch of people at another table with a flamingo straw, and I asked the waitress about it, and she says, oh, yeah, that's the straw we give with our flamingo drink. There's some sort of, like, crazy cocktail. But then she <laughs> offered to give me that flamingo straw that I was so excited about into just a basic well rum and coke. And I got it, and I got some amount of joy from it, even though it was something as stupid as just this little straw that probably – you know, mostly appeals to seven-year-olds or something like that. 
when you allow that kid in you, the part of you that still enjoys wonder, and we do. Yeah, we for sure. Do. And when we give ourselves permission to do that, that takes whatever we're experiencing to a whole nother level. And that's what I call living extraordinary. But you have to commit to it. You have to be willing to claim it. You have to be willing to say, it's okay for me to do that. And for someone like me, who's basically been, you know, a, a kind of a, a serious person most of her life, I have to give myself permission. I have to let yeah. go of those ideas of, well, what does it mean to be, you know, the oldest of eight children? What does it mean to be a mom? Or what does it mean to be a grandma? Or what does it mean to be a coach? Or what does it mean to be a teacher? Just fill the blank in. It just means live in that space and be as present as possible because it's fun. I wouldn't sure. give up any of those roles. I love them all. I don't have to live them with that crease here. I can live them with this one, right? Yeah. <laughs> with the smile, with the joy. So what know. prevents people from getting into that goofier mode? I feel like there's a societal narrative that comes from somewhere, maybe more prevalent with some groups of people than others, that prevents people from allowing themselves to be really goofy people who won't do something like play the air guitar, which is something really basic, really goofy. You're just enjoying a song. You're just going to play this little air guitar. But I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that don't feel like they have the right to do that, that it would just somehow damage their reputation to do anything like that in their lives because they're supposed to be seen as a serious professional. The belief systems that we hold and these beliefs, sometimes we've learned them from the people around us. Sometimes we've learned them from experiences in our own life. Sometimes we've learned them because we've read a story. It doesn't matter where we picked it up, but once we decide that that's the way it is for us, then that's how we take on our life, right? Yeah. So um, I, I think I had a belief system that I had to be a serious person. I had to be seen seriously. Came up through the time when women were not taken seriously in the workforce. You had to be twice as good as a guy to get a job. And, yeah, you so know, you need to like make up for that with your seriousness right. and constantly be showing it. That's right. I mean, I didn't get playful till I was a whole lot older where I didn't care as much. But it doesn't matter how old you are. I see young people sometimes holding themselves back, being afraid to make a mistake. I won't try it until I already know how to do it. So much has stopped us from experimenting. We look at people at the peak of their performance so often. And so then we think, I can't be seen learning how to do it because that's not how it's done. We don't get examples of what it takes to get to the peak of our performance. We get examples of the peak of the performance, which is fine, but it stops so many people from having to use that eraser on the top of their pencil, right? Yeah. There's a reason that it's there. So I think that we build these belief systems and then that holds us back and we don't try. We give ourselves the stop sign before we've even had a chance to. So then we say things like, I'm not good at that. I don't want to be seen that way, you know, and we stop ourselves from having experiences. I went whitewater rafting the first year I lived in Colorado. Oh, nice. I love whitewater rafting. I'm so happy that you love whitewater rafting. It was a deliverance experience for me. Okay. It was the scariest <laughs> thing that ever happened. There were two rafts. We were coming down the Arkansas and the raft behind us capsized. And the guy, one of the guys in the raft had a heart attack. And we we, we all had to get off the raft. Oh, and no. Sure. We had to have it helicoptered out. Um, I was white knuckling it the rest of the way down the Arkansas River. Have never white water rafted since then. But at least I can say I've had the experience, right? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I have fallen out of a raft on the Arkansas River myself, but it wasn't helicoptering someone out of a heart attack. It was the guide. I was going going guided tours because that's a lot safer than just trying to do on your own. Yeah, we did guide it. Yeah, get rest like got us back out to the shore and got the boats and everything like that, and we were able to continue our, our mission. Although I did lose my sunglasses. Oh, I'm so sorry. Which is, I did kiss the ground when I got out of the raft. But what if you didn't try it? Yeah. What if you just heard the story? You and I have both gone white rider rafting. You loved it. I'm hesitant. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, but, yeah. But what if we didn't try it? Because you heard my story, you never tried it. You heard your story, well, you know, it sounds like, you know, he lost his sunglasses. I mean, who knows? I mean, we, yeah, some people get deterred by something simple like that. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, it'll be such a hassle. I'll have to go back to Ragstock and buy another pair. What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about what an exciting experience it would be to learn how to have this experience, to go whitewater rafting? Or are you thinking you have to know how to be a whitewater rafter? In fact, you've got to be a guide before you can take anybody and do it. Well, they don't think about what it takes to become a guide. That person probably has capsized many times. Oh, for sure. The guides have conversations Um, amongst themselves. There was one group I think I met once that said, like, yeah, our group of guides, like the first one to capsize for each season has to like buy a round of drinks for everyone. (laughs) But see how different of an attitude that is. When we give ourselves permission to make mistakes, when we can start to look at where are we thinking, what is going on? When we think we're afraid, when we think we'll be laughed at, when we think we have to be serious, whatever whatever we put in, somewhere underneath of that is another message that says, I'm not worthy. Another message that says, I'm not good enough. Those messages are buried deeper, right? So we might have surface messages, but underneath of them are these kind of consistently deep messages of, I'm not worthy of having fill in the blank. What are the deeply held belief systems that we often all have in common and they show up in different ways for different people? If you want Mm -hmm. to really know where your mindset is, you have to peel some layers before you find that one because we'll have a lot of ways in which that looks, you know, and it may look differently. I'm not athletic. Okay. I don't really enjoy sports. Those are the layers before you get to the, I'm not good enough. That I'm not worthy. I see it often in people who say, I don't dance until I have at least three drinks in my system. Because what's going to happen? Some of those layers go away, right? The alcohol allows them to let go of those, those belief systems, those preconceived notions, and they stop thinking about how they look and they start just letting themselves enjoy. And a couple of times in this podcast, you brought up the needing to fill in the how before doing anything. Is this another manifestation of this whole, I'm not worthy? Like, is it someone saying, I'm not worthy of having this until I have written out a detailed business plan with 30 pages and I've covered every single check mark of every single possible risk and done an environmental impact study on my laptop usage and all this other stuff. And I can tell you that even if they did all of those things, there would be more. Yeah, something else would come up. So as soon as you say, Uh like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to launch this business or I'm not going to start this initiative or I'm not going to reach out to this group of people I'm excited about until this. But then once this happened, you say, they'll say, oh, but I didn't think about this yet. I didn't think about that yet. And that's going to keep coming up as long as there's this underlying belief that you're not worthy, essentially. Right. 
because the underlying belief is is way down and buried. In fact, some people would even deny that. Well, of course I'm worthy. I mean, look at right. Yeah. And at the same time, not. So you can do all those things you just talked about, and then it would be, I don't have the right outfit to wear. Well, I'm too heavy. I'm too tall. I'm too thin. You know, um, I don't know enough. I should probably take another class. I really should invest in this before I spend that. I mean, it doesn't matter when we have a consciousness of lack, whatever it is. Lack isn't always about money, although money yeah. is one of the ones that comes up. Lack is almost always about how we think about ourselves. I lack the feeling of worth. Most mm. of us, well, no, I'm a worthy person. Well, a worthy person is not the same as, as having a belief system that I'm not enough. We're not talking about having an ego. Talking about yeah. underneath, there's this underlying story that somehow or other has been implanted. And we all hear mm -hmm. that story in different ways. At the end of the day, they come down to a couple of, of similar messages. I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. Or I'm not lovable. I'm not lovable is another one that's really big. And if I go out and do this, other people might not like me. Something about like back to middle school where it shows up in its most raw, immature form. They say, oh, if they find out I'm friends with that person, they're not going to think I'm worth being friends with them. Or if they find out I wear this shirt, I like this type of music, all those like real service level stuff that people stress out so much about at that point in their lives. The middle school is like the ugliest version of it in some ways. But yeah. uh, Gay Hendricks in his book, The Big Leap, talks about one that a lot of people don't mention, but I see it all the time, the fear of outshining. Uh, so underneath of it is, I think I'm really good at this, but nobody will love me if I outshine them. If I look bigger than, if I look, because we've been taught in a very subtle way, any kind of bragging is wrong. Anytime yeah. you speak up to really like try to shine, you should, you know, don't, don't outshine other people. Right. Because look yeah. at people who do that are braggarts. They're not real. You know, I have a son who is a, um, he's a boxing, a professional boxing referee. And oh, wow. yeah, I know. <laughs> Certainly not something I knew that he was going to become, but it was a <laughs> lifelong dream of his to become that. And before he became a, a professional boxing referee, he boxed. Now yeah. as a mother watching your son in the ring, not an easy thing to do. I don't like watching him hit someone and I don't like watching him get hit either one. Right. I, yeah. I'm better at watching him ref. But even that's a little bit rough for me sometimes. Things can still happen to the ref. Things get crazy right. in there for sure. Well, and it's just it's just being in that environment. But he would get up there in the ring, and you know you've got your opponents right there in their in their corners, and he would be very cocky. And I'd hear people around me saying, "Oh, look at that guy. He's so cocky." Yeah. You know? and he's just you know he's so full of himself. You know, and he'd come out there and he and he's a small man. My son's a small person. And he's not a featherweight, he's probably a middleweight. But anyway, so he's, you know, getting all out there, bouncing himself around and whatever, and got clobbered. I mean, the first fight I went to, he was literally, he was bleeding. He got clobbered, he didn't win. And I heard all these people going, well, that's what happens when you're out there and you're so full of yourself. And coming home from that fight, you know, I was just listening to him and I said, can I ask a question about how you are before the fight in the corner? Because I'd never seen him fight before. It was the first time and it was really hard for me. And he said, mom, if I go out there thinking I'm going to get beat, I'm going to get beat. I'm beat before I put myself in the ring. 
Yeah. He said, I've got to go out there and believe that I can take anybody. I am the cock of the walk. I am the best fighter in the world. I can take a hit. I can give a hit. I'm going to come out of this victorious. Yeah. And he said, I know people think I lost the fight today. He said, but I'm victorious because I was in the ring. He said, it isn't bragging. It isn't being bigger or better or brighter. It's being prepared. And I went to his next fight, his second fight. And there he was, this little bantyweight guy, right? You know, he's just yeah. doing the same thing, right? And I heard the same kind of conversation. He won that fight. They were no different. I felt a little better. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? I mean, but, and he gave me, I actually, you can't see it here, but he gave me the trophy from that fight. He said, Mom, I want you to have my first trophy because I want you to remember it ain't bragging when it's true. You got to go in there being prepared to be in that arena and do the best you can be. It isn't about winning or losing. It's about showing up and doing your best. What makes most people have a negative reaction to other people showing off? It's the message of this isn't how we behave. Right? We've got mm. norms. We have norms. This isn't how we behave. And when people break norms, it's uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with it, right? And so we've yeah. taught ourselves being humble is the way to behave. When we see somebody stepping out of doing that, we either applaud it because we're glad somebody's got the courage to do it, whether it works or not, or yeah. we shun them for it. But we do one or the other. When we find out who we are, and, and it comes down to what are we thinking? Where is our mind? If you know your truth, if you know that you are a wonderful human being, if you know that there's a there's something in you that's for you to live in this life, because we're all here with a purpose. Yeah. Our purpose, as I said, doesn't have to be Jonas Salk. What if my purpose is to be happy? What if my purpose is to be a good mother? What if my purpose is to enjoy my family? What if my purpose is to have the best white water rafting trip ever? <laughs> because I can share that joy with other people. Yeah. You know, one of the questions I get a lot when I'm coaching is um, especially clients who say, well, my dream is to have a loving relationship. I really want to have a partner in life, but it feels so selfish. Yeah. And I'm like, what's wrong with the dream of having a loving relationship? Well, you know, that feels like my, I feel like my, my purpose in life should be bigger than that. So think about this for a minute, Stephen. Mm -hmm. If you're walking down the street and you see an older couple holding hands and talking and thoroughly enjoying each other's company, does it yeah. make you smile? Yeah. Don't you think they're fulfilling a purpose right there? Because you're seeing somebody, yeah. you know, when you see a young couple in love and they, they they can't get enough of each other's company, they're just learning about each other, doesn't it make you smile? Yeah. Happy relationships make us happy. Yeah. I say the same thing with somebody like that. friendship groups too, right? If you see same like thing. six people all sitting at a table and they're just laughing it up and just enjoying stories about interesting experiences they've had or funny observations amongst each other. Like as long as they're not staring at their phones, I'm joy is brought to me by that. What you're talking about is that these experiences are not isolated. They're not just for our selfish enjoyment. We actually shed it, you know, share it out there and other people look at it. It gives us permission to go look at it. That's for me. I want a friend group like that. I want a relationship like that. I can do that. And it gives us permission to let go of this. I'm not worthy. Well, you know, he's doing it. I can do it. But that takes a shift in our mindset. That takes us being willing to say, 
That's for me. Let me claim that. Good. That's why I say an extraordinary life takes courage and you have to have the courage to commit to it because everybody has the power to live a joyous, happy, extraordinary life, but you've got to be willing to commit to it. And how that happens is the very thing. You see six people having dinner together. I want that. Then claim it and you will bring it into your life simply by the beginning of being willing. Now, then you might have to take some steps. Maybe you have to like go places where there are people. The brain is electric, the heart is magnetic. So we are electromagnetic beings. When I shift my thinking, I open up to draw that in. So even if I didn't make the phone call and invite somebody to a movie yet, just the fact that I've shifted that gives someone else permission in that energy field, if you will, to realize you're more open. Maybe I'll invite you to a movie. Someone listening right now is hearing this message and saying, yeah, I want to change my energy. I want to be open to receiving whatever it is, whether it be a new relationship, new job, new adventures, new business opportunities, new clients, all this stuff. What can someone listening do right now today, as soon as they finish this podcast, to start changing that energy, changing that focus and getting out of the whole idea that, oh, if I want something, I'm selfish. And if I have something, I'm flexing and these are all bad things and get to the whole, I'm worthy. I'm going to just live my life and fulfill my purpose. Make a decision. Everything starts with a decision. You have to make a decision. That's what it takes. You decide. Decide means to cut away, right? You decide to cut away what doesn't serve you. You decide for yourself. Once you make a decision, you've changed that whole signal that's coming out of you. I've decided for myself. From the decision, other things happen. Things show up. It's the strangest way to explain to people who want to be in control that the decision is actually the beginning of letting go. The decision for yourself is the beginning of surrendering to your truth, to your inner self. But you have to make that decision first. And then when you do... You cut away everything in your life that doesn't serve what you've decided for. But once you make that decision, opportunities will show up. And you have to support that decision by making that decision again and again. You know, Bob Proctor used to say that the decision is 95% because your attitude that you use to make that decision is 95% of being wherever it is you want. The other 5% is the easy stuff. But making that decision... So if you're sitting there and you're listening to this podcast and you don't know, if you can feel that you want something different, decide for it. Literally, simply decide for it. And then take one step, one small step in service of that decision. That one small step could be, I always say, make a date with your decision, right? Put it on your calendar. Mm. Yeah, say, okay. okay, today is Wednesday. I'm going to do this Friday. If if I'm getting out of my... Um, isolation, I'm going to go see a movie on Friday with a friend, right? I haven't been to a movie in a long time, but I think I'm going to go see air. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, those, I do. Uh, I do like those. I seen the previews for that movie. It does look really interesting. Well, I love basketball and, um, and I have seen many of the greats play because a company I worked for, we had box seats. So I saw many of the greats play. The one great I never saw play in person was Michael Jordan. So oh, really? I know. I, I, I mean, I saw Dr. J. I've seen Kareem. I mean, I've seen a lot of the greats. I saw Bill Walton play. I saw, um, yeah, his name just went out of my head. Bill Russell play. You know, these yeah. are older guys, but then I'm an older woman. 
But I also saw, um, come on, help me out, played with the Celtics for years. You're talking about Larry Bird? Larry Bird, yeah. Yep. I, couldn't, I couldn't pull his name up. I could see his face. But I never got to see Jordan. I lived in Milwaukee. Can you believe it? Oh, my gosh. We were so <laughs> close. I, that, that, that surprised me quite a bit because in Chicago at the time, that was like what everyone talked about. Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. So anyway, but I mean, you make a date with yourself. You make a decision. Do something small. It doesn't have to be big. A lot of times we think everything has to be a grand gesture. We can't do it like you were talking earlier. You've got to get the whole business plan put together. No, if you're looking at you want a business, then take one step. What's that one step? Maybe it's calling someone who's doing a business like that. Whatever it is for you, but you have to give yourself permission and take one small step in service of it. And none of it happens until you make a decision. That's the first thing. Yes, yeah, so you make a decision. It's actually odd. I um, went to my first business networking and entrepreneurial meetups about five years ago when I had no idea, any, nothing really that I had any passion about, no idea to really present. I just knew I wanted to be around the energy of people that are trying to solve problems as opposed to the energy of people that just complain about problems. If you've got that kind of curiosity, you're going to be around people who are curious, who will help yeah. you to learn more, right? And stretch you more. If you have people around you who aren't curious, you'll spend less time with them. That Some of those people are people we really love, but they're not For necessarily sure. people who are going to feed that part of you. You know, my daughter taught me many years ago, and she said, I don't know how anybody can only have one person in their life because everybody brings something different to you and no one person can bring you everything. Mm -hmm. It can bring you a lot, but if you really want to grow, you want to learn from a lot of different people and you choose. The Dalai Lama talks about sacred friends. Mm. He says, we all should have friends in our life, people who are easy to love. We all have people who are easy to love and we want people who are easy to love. And then we have people who are what he calls sacred friends, maybe not so easy to love. But hmm. sacred friends are very, very important to us because sacred friends show up to show us a part of ourselves that we're ready to heal. They show hmm. us a place in us to grow. So that person who's driving too slow and you just can't get past them, maybe that person's teaching you patience. They don't even know they're offering you a sacred friendship right there. You know, the uncle that drives you crazy at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever may not be aware of the fact that this is an opportunity for you to learn to be more loving, more accepting. You don't have to like sacred friends. You don't have to spend a lot of time with them. But whenever you come into a situation where someone in your life is sort of coming up against what you're feeling and you're going, I don't want this. And if they would only change, I would be fine. The minute I hear myself thinking that, I know this is all about me. <laughs> yeah. And, and learn from that, embrace that, thank that energy, thank. You don't have to say thank you to the person. But you can thank the energy of what they're bringing up for you. This is an opportunity for you to grow at a whole nother level. We spend a lot of time pushing away what we don't want. We don't have to bring it into our life. But when it's there, it's being presented to us. There's an opportunity for us to mirror and look at what is it that is responding to me. You and I both could meet the same person. And I could be like, what a wonderful, lovely person. And you could be, God, how can you stand being around that person? Yeah. Right? Because something in that person is showing a mirror to you that it wasn't showing to me and vice versa. Yeah. And when that happens, you recognize this is my opportunity for growth. This is my opportunity to be grateful that I'm awake enough that I can recognize this. Most of us don't. We just run around blaming or we run around wishing somebody else was different. If you think about that, if you take that out a little bit further, 
do I really want the responsibility of everybody I yeah. run into living the way that I think they should live? What a number one boring life that would be and what a heavy burden that would be. That to try I try to control I everything. Yeah, life is too hard to live. But many of us live under that control, that kind of internal control, because we're so afraid of what you said earlier, the imposter syndrome. They're going to find out how unworthy I am. Is part of noticing this stopping yourself from being distracted all the time? And nowadays, we're distracting ourselves with these devices everywhere. People have other forms of escape, whether it be always being drunk, always being high, always being tuned into like five other things. Is there a certain amount of presence that we need to work on in order to, to realize, you know, make the decision and make our lives more joyous? Well, the obvious and short answer of that, of course, is yes. And then it is, well, how do I do that? Simply, the easiest possible way to do it is to take a breath. It's to breathe. Just breathe in, literally breathe out. Breathe. I mean, literally just take a deep breath because it shifts state. Now, there's a lot of different ways that I teach about changing states. Yeah. Breathing is the easiest and most available to you at all times. You know, there's several different listening to music, taking a walk in nature, physically just moving your body, like just yeah. literally moving your body as simple as standing up if you're sitting down, change state. But the easiest and most accessible and the best possible uh, way to get a result is to just breathe. Take a deep breath, shift by letting that air out. You, you can let your mind and all the energy around it, because you can get really like a lot of, you know, like, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, you get your then, mind is buzzing yeah. on like 15 different things. You're like... Right. And so like, many of our devices and things keep us, like you were talking about, you know, being high or being drunk or being, you know, tied up with devices. That's our, our, it's really too hard. Like we are so afraid of being still, we keep ourselves going. Breathing will stop it. Even if you're high, breathing yeah. will stop it, right? I'll It'll have to try that someday. It'll slow it down. It's weird. Like I've been high and trying to speed it up by doing planks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to give that a try. Well, uh, I can't I can't yeah. relate to high because they haven't gotten high, but but yeah, I'm thinking of all the mechanisms of the way we distract ourselves. I, I, all of them know, are the same. They're all about distraction. You're right. Yeah. I mean, obviously Correct. I'm trying to help people reduce the amount of time they spend in front of computers and phones, which has become so prevalent these days. But you know, I, well, I just part of that's a choice yeah. back to our, our decision, right? Yeah. One of the things I think we lose, especially in our fast-paced life, is that we have choices. We always have a choice. And that may be as simple as take a breath and slow down for one second. I may not be able to make the big choice to leave this job this moment. I may not be in a place where I can leave this marriage or this relationship this moment. I may not be able to change my eating habits in this moment. I mean, you know, if I have to lose X number of pounds, that decision to lose those pounds doesn't drop them all in that moment, but the decision gets you to that place, right? And how do you get to the yeah. decision? Take a breath, stop, allow yourself to be present, as you said earlier, be present with that thought that's tr trying to get through to you. Your that's inner self is always telling you the truth. Before that day, you had the panic attack on the Boulder Turnpike. There was always those thoughts that were trying to get through to you. And so if someone wants to prevent themselves from getting to the point of having, you know, that day, whatever, whatever form it shows up in, it's right. about breathing and saying, what is my body? What is my mind trying to tell me at this moment? 
That's right. Definitely. And even, and many people already know our intuition never lies to us. Our intuition always knows it, always, always knows the truth. And all of us know this. We have all listened to and been thrilled with the synchronicity of intuition. And all of us have pushed it aside and went, darn, why didn't I listen to that? I got that little hit yeah, before, right? We've that's what I've been working on for about a year now. It's been one of my initiatives is to trust that intuition. Intuition is your inner self talking to you. It's the part of you that knows your truth. Remember, we talked about you have this inner truth. It's always yeah. there. But we get really good at, at drumming out with noise, with getting high, with getting drunk, with having devices, with having work, with having busyness. All these things keep us from hearing what never stops talking to us, no matter how loud we get. And it's that's why we're afraid to breathe. That's why we're afraid to be present, because we might hear the voice that we already know is there by giving it a little life. You give fire a little air. What does it do? Yeah, it yeah. it expands. It blows up. Right. There's well, a fire in you. Always, always, always. There's a fire in your soul. Always. Give it some air. Give it some breath. Give it some space. And it will always lead you. And then you have to let it unfold. You know, when you make that decision, when you make that what, that's the what yeah. decision, the how shows up. The difference is when the how shows up, are you willing to take a step with it? Because sometimes it shows up not the way you thought it was going to. We could probably have a whole nother discussion on that. Um, oh, yes. All for of sure. Things we can. Um, but yeah, I just want to <laughs> wrap this up. Uh, Janet, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes and telling us all about how we can go about, you know, really believing that we're worthy of the life we want, the purpose that we know within our intuition that we're meant to serve in this life and bring it into bring it into fruition because um everyone out there listening first of all thank you thank you for listening thank you for tuning in uh again if this is not your first time and i encourage you to tune into actions antidotes for more stories more interesting discussions but uh, my final message to everyone out there listening is that you are um you are worthy of you know what you want if you have something going on for you, don't be afraid to flex. Don't worry about all the haters that are saying like, like you shouldn't be talking up your, you know, this talking up your that. And if you want something and it's not like something, you know, I don't know, excessively mean spirited. If you just want to have a, a nice life, if you want to share great moments with people, if you want to have a great business, it's not selfish to, to want that. It's not selfish to want to do something like that uh, with your, with your life. 